0: So, Berto, let's talk about some random things because I have a whole backlog of stuff I want to talk with you about. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor.
1: My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I am, like, fascinated by the work that I do every single day, which is the same work I've done for years.
0: So I wanted to talk with you about Tiger King because I did an episode about it, and I wanted to hear your thoughts. So did you like Tiger King? I did. I uh I was I kept hearing all these people talk
1: about Tiger King, Tiger King. Everyone posting on Facebook, all these memes. Um I had no idea what it was. I actually thought it was an old show because I saw like the picture and I was like, is this from like the 90s or something? Um and I finally made time to watch it. Uh I'd say the first half was more compelling than the second half, but yeah, it was quite enjoyable. So what did you think about
0: it? Do you think Carol Baskin did it?
1: <laughs> I don't think she killed her husband, even though I found a lot of contradictions with her and I, I don't believe she killed her husband.
0: Wow, I mean that's going against like most of the internet, you know.
1: I do, but I think she she's got a personality that I think a lot of people don't like, and so that's not her that's not helping her cause. Um, she's also like presented as the antagonist. So psychologically, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, she did it, man. Look at her. She's just... Plus, you know, she they present her a bit as a hypocrite during part of it. So I think all that lends itself to like, yeah, I think she killed him. But I, I don't know. I don't think so. I certainly don't think she fed him two tigers. I don't believe that for one minute.
0: So, yeah, the, uh, there's tons of people on the internet. It's like, Carol Baskin did it. In fact, I I subscribed sort of haphazardly to the subreddit Tiger King on Reddit. and <laughs>
1: There's a Tiger yeah. King Reddit, Of course oh, yeah. there is. Yeah, there's
0: <laughs> subreddit for everything. There's probably a subreddit for Carol Baskin did it, but the <laughs> uh, 99% of the posts on the Tiger King subreddit is related to Carol Baskin as a guilty person of murder. And uh, I find this to be a interesting study of how humans – uh, make decisions about how things happen, and yeah. the because one there's there's no definitive data that proves <laughs> that she did it. <laughs> right, right, it's all circumstantial, and we can't trust a single thing that this that this document that this quote unquote documentary, which I put in quotes because <laughs> uh, it doesn't really deserve to be called a documentary. It's it's a sensationalized kind of reality TV show in and of itself. Yep. And it's heavily edit, edited, edited uh, to to I don't know drum up a, a lot of things in particular to make Carol Baskin look like a, a, a you know a guilty person. Right. And uh, so, is it possible that she killed her husband and fed him to tigers? Sure, you know, but it's possible that. Someone else killed him it 's possible right. that he disappeared there 's a lot of possibilities that 's the nature of this situation and that 's why she 's never been convicted is because there's a lot of possibilities and there's no there 's no evidence that she did it's possible yeah. that she did but there 's no evidence that she did uh, so there's circumstantial evidence that that she did, but that 's not enough and if right. there was harder evidence then and if there ever will be, then you know I guess we'll find out but certainly from the documentary, we know nothing, and I find it to be. A very interesting phenomenon that most people are like, oh, she did it. The other thing is uh, that I find interesting is that everyone's in love with Joe Exotic, even I though know. even though he clearly is a terrible human being. <laughs> I now, know. now he he's a he's a likable person, right? He he's uh, I I liked him in a lot of ways. In the same right? way that I I've I have liked a lot of criminals who did bad things. Well, it's, but, it's a little bit like like Trump, like.
1: Uh, th- there's this part of him that's almost endearing. It's like, oh, he's such a he's such a criminal buffoon. It's just so fun to watch. But if it were a movie, that's cool. But when it transcends into real life, it's like, whoa.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can like someone in the same way that you could like one, someone in your family and also recognize that they committed a terrible, terrible crime, right. of, wh- of which he did. Now, people are saying, well, you know, Jeff and... That other guy entrapped him, but it's just like you can't entrap me to say what Joe Exotic said. Joe <laughs> I know. Like like no one can no one can trick me into uh, uh offering someone three thousand dollars to kill anyone because that's just not in my nature and I I would I would never do that. But Joe Exotic sure did, do you know what I mean? And so yep, yep. so uh I don't Now again, you can like Joe Exotic, you can feel bad for him. I certainly do like him and feel bad for him i also recognize that he's in jail for a very fucking good reason i mean think about it people if someone threatened if someone was out there hiring someone to kill you or someone you love would you want everyone in the united states or in the world worshiping that person you know you just have to ask yourself that question
1: and and i mean let's let's for a second ignore the hiring the potential hiring of someone to assassinate like let's just put that aside as if that's nothing Everything they showed us of his own footage and constant constant public statements were extremely violent misogynistic and like like crazy statements against and acts against her like shooting a doll in the head shooting them exploding her saying he would decapitate like constant things that they showed us that were not here say they were him In his own videos, putting it out for the world to see. Now, I know that that's not uh, the same as hiring a hitman legally and things like that. I get it, but but let's not pretend like, oh, what, what? The guy's innocent. Like this is not, and and that doesn't even count. Like the exploitation of, uh, you know, what I would call is probably minor exploitation because, like, he would, I think, coerce and seduce younger people with drugs. Um, and that's not to mention all the laws he broke in the process of having – like this is not a run-of-the-mill, next-door, happy-go-lucky neighbor that we should all feel
0: sorry for. Yeah, absolutely. And in what world is that not a crime to like make constant threats of death publicly right. to another human being? Like I, I don't want to live in a world where that sort of free speech is allowed and, and I, I find that to be a problem. And where uh,
1: Everyone is cheering him on.
0: I know and and again, you know, if you're one of those people out there which I'm guessing some of you are that is now not liking us because we're saying these sorts of things, rewatch the documentary and rewatch the footage and try to see it objectively and not through yeah. the lens that the producers are trying to push you in in the direction of. There's no evidence that Carol Baskin committed the crime that is. That convinces anyone, particularly the the legal system, which is you know a system you should uh, regard on some level. Um, and there's tons of evidence that demonstrates that Joe Exotic committed a massive crime. Now, again, you could dislike Carol. The other thing that I think is happening is sexism. Is that yep. there's a general sexism in our society that has been you know uh, sort of has infiltrated all of our minds, regardless of your gender, and you watch this thing and it's Carol Baskin comes across as like ultra feminine in this, you know, she's, she is just very feminine. And so there's just this general hatred of that. I also think that there's a lot of people who have a lot of transferences against their own mothers. And I think they're reacting to that. Uh, You know, Joe, Joe exotic comes across as like your cool older brother. And Carol Baskin comes across as like, a withholding mother you know there's a certain mm, right there's a certain vibe that the that the producers painted with the footage that they did of her you know just one detail of the manipulation that the producers did was whenever you're inter- you know you and I have been interviewed for docu- for documentaries before, and you remember when they interview us they 'll say pause before you- a- answer the question and then pause after you answer the question because we right. want we want dead space to edit around, so that you know, don't don't make. We don't want talk cross talk. We don't want people talking at the same time. So, you know, wait a few beats before you answer the question. Wait a few beats after you answer the question. So that's just common thing, and I, and I'm quite positive they did that with Carol Baskin, and in the documentary, quote unquote, they have a lot of they keep a lot of those moments in where she'll answer yeah. the question, and then there'll just be this pause, this really awkward pregnant pause (laughs) to make it look like she's like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure about what I just said. Right. And she, she often gives kind of a weird looking face because it's a very awkward moment. You know what it's like, you know, to be interviewed. It's a very awkward way to have a conversation to answer a question and then wait three seconds in silence. You know, it's a very weird way to have a conversation. And, and so they would leave those in, or they would edit in other facial expressions that they probably got from other footage to make it look like she it doesn't really believe in the words that she's saying at times. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, I just found that to just be despicable in a certain way. And the, 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 when I first reacted to uh, the documentary, quote-unquote, on YouTube, I was less di- sort of uh, – I had less disdain for it. But the more I think about it and the more I read other mm. articles of people that I respect, the more I'm just like those producers are – some of the best manipulators on the planet. And we can think of other people who were just as good at manipulating people to like someone who was a criminal. Wow, that's really interesting because I
1: hadn't. I hadn't actually considered this. The only thing that I had thought of recently is that I saw an interview with her where she was talking about how the way they approached her about the project – was completely different than when the project was. And they they basically sold her on it from the perspective of like, this is an expose of a lot of these places. And so your role in this will be good because, you know, you'll help us expose something along those lines. Uh, and I could totally imagine that too, because she, she'd she be like, oh yeah, finally, you know, I get my, I get to, people get to hear my point of view, blah, blah. blah. Um, or not finally, because she's got an audience, but I mean more broad, more mainstream, right? And then that turns into a, you know, like very different experience, one that is enjoyable for a viewer. But if you start realizing what you're saying, it's like, wait a minute.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, I will say that I was – me and my wife were eternally entertained by this documentary. Like uh, every episode, we're like, oh, my God, what? I mean it it was some of the most, you know, riveting – tv i've ever seen in my life honestly but yeah. we have to look critically at what we're looking at and particularly at society's reaction to it uh so the other thing that i thought of pretty quickly was that this is what i might call classism porn where oh, okay for us middle upper class people this is Looking down at working class people and just laughing at their lifestyle and their choices. And the Whoa, produ- hold on, hold on. Let me let me ask you about that because uh, many of the people that we were laughing the most at are like ridiculous millionaires. But you can be a millionaire and be low class. Like okay, a, a very you know intelligent commentators on class will point out that Trump actually even though he's extremely rich and privileged, oh, sure. comes across as, as low class, the way he talks, the sort of things he says, his politics, this kind of thing. And and low class meaning that you come from a particular culture and a, a pocket of, of society that doesn't have the values of quote-unquote high class. High class is not better than low class. It's just a different culture. Middle class is a different culture. Working class is a different culture. Uh, immigrant class is a different culture. And so this uh, documentary shows people who have mullets, who have, you know, lots of the kinds of tattoos that you have in that particular culture. I don't even know if I want to call it low class, uh, whatever, I put whatever label of class you want to put to this, but mullet class, you know, let's call it that class. And the producers absolutely knew that. They put a, a RAF. Uh, who is a trans man in a junkyard to interview him? The entire documentary. Why would they put him in a? In a did you notice? You know the person who, who lost. was who the trans man? Who the person who lost uh, his arm, his hand?
1: Oh, I thought that was okay. So that that was uh, b- born a man and
0: now a woman. I don't know, but okay. uh, he identifies as a trans man.
1: Oh, okay, I did not know that.
0: Which is another problem with this documentary. They never pointed that out and allowed everyone to misgender this person. But anyway, that uh, he was in a junkyard. Why the hell was he being interviewed in a fucking junkyard? They had – I believe John, uh, the first husband that we see in the documentary, he is being interviewed without his fucking shirt on the entire uh, documentary. Do you think yeah. that was his idea? I doubt it, you know, because all the rest of the time, because for a while I was like, wait, is this guy like um, Randy on Trailer Park Boys? Do you watch <laughs> that
1: show?
0: Yeah. And because Randy never wears a shirt, but in all the other scenes where, you know, he's just walking around, he's always wearing a shirt. So uh, you just have to wonder what the producers were thinking. The the One of the iconic shots that I laughed at at the time, but then sort of chastise myself for laughing, that guy who had the – it kind of comes in later in the series – who had the the water uh, vehicle, if you will, the skidoo or whatever. The,
1: yeah, right. And they make – they, they show him going around the water and stuff like that.
0: Right. That yeah. is absolutely played for laughs. And yeah. they went to him and they said, so we're just trying to get this B-roll footage Go ahead and get on. You know, do you have it? What do you like to do? We're like, oh, well, I have, you know, I have some watercraft. He's like, oh, okay, great. Why don't you get on your watercraft, go out into the lake, and then we'll film you kind of coming back. The producers, as they're filming this, are telling him, oh, this is good footage. This will, you know, this will make you look cool. They absolutely know that middle America, us, are going to laugh our asses off at the way this guy looks because of all the accoutrement that points to low class.
1: Hey, speak and for yourself. I thought that was like a James Bond-style scene.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and again, I hate to be a party pooper for people because this is one of the most beloved, and I have to, and I will admit that I laughed and I was having a good time. But at the same time, we just have to look at ourselves and wonder, why Why is this so entertaining? You know? What about yeah. this is, is so entertaining to us? Um, so, you know. You know, I hadn't thought
1: about the class thing because I'm certainly... Where and and have thought of, you know, we don't want to be making fun of poor people or people because of disabilities or skin color or religion, any of that stuff. Um, But this class thing is interesting because I, I, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one as much. Thinking of like, and maybe it's, maybe it's different in Colombia. Maybe it's a a different thing. Like, I can't remember in Colombia that there would have been such a thing as making fun of the kind of class. That some of the rich people are. The only thing that comes to mind is we did, we did used to make fun of gringos, people of the United States. Um, and the, but the usual way we'd make fun of them is I remember shows where there would be someone from the United States and they'd have this thick accent when they talked in Spanish and they'd be like, hola, como estas? And they would make really cheesy jokes and they would usually be like big and lumbering and stuff like that. And then we, and we would make fun of that. Um, but I don't remember rich people being made fun of. And I wonder if it's a difference in like how, and I don't just mean rich people, but like certain kinds of rich people. Whereas you're right. There is a certain kind of class here that is made fun of even if you have money.
0: Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's the correct use of the word garish. Uh, It's, it's, uh, the way that they dress, the way they talk, the way their hair looks, the sort of music they listen to, the the decor that -hmm. they have, the sort of tattoos they have, the fact that they're losing their teeth, the fact that a lot of them um, are overweight, the fact that they have certain kinds of interests. These are all cues of class. And for the refined people of Seattle, for example, which has a lot of upper class and middle class people – They would never be caught dead doing those things, you know. Just to uh, just to see a man who has lost some of his teeth is one of the most disgraceful things you could ever do in common society in Seattle. To walk around with without a front tooth is, you know, uh, it takes you down like fifty percent in terms of your respectability in society. And that's just one of the that's just one of the markers of class. So it, there's just a ton of of um, examples of that in in the, in the show. Now, for many viewers, they might not have had that experience because they don't laugh at people in this class or this culture, or they are of that culture and they don't, you know, they didn't see anything to comment on. Uh, but uh, for me, I I just you know for the majority of people watching, I'll, I'll just say for myself when I was watching it, I was like, oh no. I'm laughing at this for probably a, a bad reason, similar yeah. to the way you were talking about in Colombia, how you they would make fun of gringos with their bad accents. Borat is making fun of a foreigner with a bad accent, right. making making fun of someone that doesn't speak English all that well and is also, you know, has a different cultural understanding of, of certain ideas. Now, to want Jews to die, which is what one of Borat's common things, I think that's a uh, up for grabs to laugh at, but other kinds of things of like, um, you know, that he comes from a really poor village where his wife has to work the fields a lot or something like somehow that's supposed to be really funny. And, and uh, now again, I'm, I'm right there laughing. Borat's one of my favorite movies, but then I have to look at myself and go like, wait, why am I laughing so hard at this? And in 50 years, when we have a greater understanding of, of these phenomena Am I going to uh, frown at these kinds of things? Because we can you know, certainly look back at, at depictions of things. You know, just to give you an example, 50 years ago, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's has Andy Rooney acting like a Japanese person that's in right. this – the most car- – most car- anyone out there who, who doesn't know what I'm talking about, just Google Breakfast at Tiffany's Japanese guy and you will see and this was a blockbuster movie. This wasn't some you yeah. know secondary. This was a you probably even heard of this movie, even though you might have never seen it. Breakfast at Tiffany's, and at the time, this was absolutely accepted. No one blinked an eye at it, except for Asian people. Of well, course, they laughed. They loved it. Yeah, they thought it was hilarious. Look at look at that Asian. Everyone everyone knew Andy Rooney wasn't Japanese because he's yeah. he was one of the most famous uh, actors that had ever lived, particularly back then. Yeah. And, you know, it was hilarious. And now all those same people who laughed would not laugh at that because of their understanding today. And similar in 50 years, I wonder if we would look at this differently and be like, I can't believe people thought that was funny. How it's clear that that documentary is making fun of a particular class of people.
1: So a couple of thoughts, though. You know, one of them is. Uh oh by the way I had never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's I actually still never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's but the first time I came across that was watching the movie Dragon the Bruce Lee story do you remember the scene where he's at the movies watching Breakfast at Tiffany's no and he's he's made it's uh, Jason Lee and he's there with uh his girlfriend I forget her name okay um, and then he's watching Breakfast at Tiffany's and that scene comes on and he's like he sees everyone around him laughing their heads off and he's just like, why is this funny, you know? And yeah. I remember that, watching that, being like, oh, my gosh. And I I thought that the scene they were showing was somehow like, I don't know. Enhanced, like, enhanced, or, enhanced. or something. Enhanced. Yeah, like I couldn't believe. And I asked someone, I, whoever I was watching, I was like, that's not real, right? And like, yeah, that was Breakfast at Tiffany. I'm like, what? That was crazy. So, yeah, so I totally get that. I do think there is one aspect of Borat, which I, I still think the fact that he was from a specific place of the world is problematic. And, and there are other things definitely problematic. But one of the aspects is that he was – what what adds a lot of humor to that is that he would come up to people and instead of the people being horrified by the things he's saying, they would join in on it. And that was some of the things we would laugh at, laugh at in sort of a horrified way like, oh my gosh, there's people living in our country that would agree with this. You know, and that that was pretty crazy. Um, I I felt a little bit like that during this because, well, and maybe I maybe I'm being naive, but some some of the things I was quote unquote laughing the most at were things that are absolutely not okay. Like, for example, the guy getting all the young runaways to form a harem, or the fact that they would um, basically which blow Joe up
0: which Joe Exotic did too, and for for males,
1: yeah, like. And the fact that they would, uh, you know, like uh, basically, again, this is not really funny at all in reality now that I think about it, but the worker loses an arm and they're back to work like a day later. But I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, what? You know, like it's entertaining slash funny in many cases. Um, But yeah, I'm sure that there is some aspect of like, oh my gosh, that look, that guy looks so ridiculous on that ski do or what is, what is he wearing or why do they have those tattoos there? Or why is he missing all his teeth? Now the teeth thing is funny because that seems to be meth related, right? Right. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Which so which
0: f- incidentally is another class drug, right? Meth is, mm. is associated with a particular class. Mm. Anyway. Um, yeah, just a final note before we go to break about Doc Antle and his harem. And people are, you know, is it a cult? Again... We don't have enough data. We have one person, the woman, the young woman who talked about her experience. And certainly it raises some eyebrows as to uh, Doc Antle's techniques, so to speak, to wrangle free labor essentially. Uh, But it's also something that it sounds like she could have walked away at any time, Um, that she – Liked the job because she was able to work with the Tigers. That was a big dream of hers. And was she too young to consent to the kinds of things that she was subjected to? Uh, maybe, you know, and that, but we can't, there's just not enough data in that documentary that indicts Doc Antle, particularly with regards to the other women that we see d- depicted. You know, there's, a, there's plenty of other women. On the surface, the facts on the surface we have, and I looked up other because they make it look like Doc Antle has like ten women uh, with him. Yeah. But but from reports, it's it's something closer to like three or four, and some of the other women just happen to work there. And he, there's nothing wrong with a polyamorous relationship. There's nothing wrong with there, it. happens all the time, particularly here in Seattle. There will be one man and five women, or there'll be one woman and five men, or there'll be four men and three women that are in a polycule, as they call it. Totally ethical, as long as everyone's consenting and no one feels trapped and everyone feels safe and uh, everything's on the up and up, it's, it's consensual, then what a wonderful arrangement for, for people to have. It's totally up to them. They, they can do that for sure. So we don't know. Uh, now, for that one woman... Uh, we could the, the thing that I said in my reaction video that I did a, a couple weeks ago was that uh, w- we need to help people like her understand these situations so that they go into it with an open mind so that they they can protect themselves. Because it sounds like part of her kind of regretted some of the things that she did or that she was subjected to that she could have easily protected herself from if she – knew the signs and had the support and had the ability to push back. Cause there was no allegations that Doc Antle raped her or forced her to do anything. Right. I mean, I, I don't remember everything that she said. but Yeah. I'm I don't not-
1: remember any of that, but I mean, couldn't you interview, and I know this is a, a worst extreme, but maybe I guess, but couldn't you interview 90% of the people or, or more in David Koresh's camp or something and have them say, uh, no, what? No. I'm here, not only am I here voluntarily, like, I would die if I was, you know, like stuff like that or,
0: you know. Well, well, so that brings up another uh, question. You know, there's a difference between a abusive, high control relationship like the Nexium cult that we talked about last year, which I can't remember the guy's name, but you remember the, yeah, yeah. I can't remember her name, but. They would force the from women. Smallville, yeah, the woman from Smallville. They would force the women to do bad things, like if I'm remembering right. And they would say, "We will, you know, post this on Twitter if you talk bad about us or you leave the cult." You know, that kind of stuff. Or yeah. they would, or they would literally hold women down and make them do sexual things. Well, and then, the, and then yeah. So, but the so, woman
1: claimed that similar stuff in the documentary, like the one that that is no longer there, said, you know, they would try to. They they had the problem is that they have so much dirt on you or, or something like that. I, I can't remember how she phrased it, but
0: oh, she did.
1: She said something like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then that's data in that camp for sure. I mean, if it was yeah. implied that look, if you you know if you leave or if you talk bad about us, we're going to release all this stuff. Yeah, I kind of remember that something about like different potentially illegal yeah a- animal practices
1: oh right that's yeah that's what it was about yeah, uh,
0: so, get, yeah so yeah so then that so then that's criminal and that's absolutely uh, something that um, yeah. even if you had open eyes you couldn't you can't protect yourself from that but my larger point here is that as I we always talk about the kinds of things we teach kids in elementary school and high school, are fine, but they miss so many important things that we need to teach yeah. people. Critical thinking being one, but also the uh, the idea that one can be exploited by uh, charismatic people who attract you with certain things like tigers and fame and a community, and then they'll <laughs> use that to exploit you, and will ultimately be a bad idea for you. Uh, you know what class touches on that? Uh, I'm guessing <laughs> that. I'm guessing that one out of a million teachers has even talked about that with their students, you know?
1: I, yeah, if that. (laughs) Well, although I did take the uh, Cult Defense 101. You didn't have that class?
0: Yeah. So let's take a break, and when we get back, let's talk about the movie Midsummer because I finally watched it. What do you say? Oh, yes, let's do it. (music) So, Berto, if the Tiger King were here trying to convince everyone to become a patron of the podcast, what would he sound like?
1: And the the thing is, like, look, I got all these tigers and people are always telling me that, like, uh, you know, like, I am mistreating them or whatever. They don't know. I I have the most tigers anywhere. And, like, not only that, but I'm going to run for president. And I want you to understand, like, if you give your support to me by becoming a Patreon, like... I'm going to have a tiger delivered to your morning every, to your door every morning. Like a baby tiger, you can pet it, you can sell it, you can grow your own baby tigers and send them back to me so I can send them back to your doorstep every morning. And then like there'll be one pot in every kitchen and one baby tiger in every door. That's my like Joe Tiger promise.
0: <laughs> All right. So, let's talk about Midsummer the movie. It came out a long time ago and Pe- Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. One side note. Um From the very first
1: song of Joe's that they showed, I'm like, that's not his voice. There's no way on earth that's his voice. And sure enough, it came out that it's not his voice.
0: (laughs) So that's another thing about the producers. Why didn't they fucking mention that? Right. I mean, that is one of the biggest lies that they committed. And it's so obvious. And it would have taken five seconds to explain it. Or even just a graphic. By the way, this isn't him singing. And uh, why didn't they do that? Well, because... I'm quite positive that as they were editing, because they had all this footage, as they were yeah. editing this thing together, they're like, "Well, Joe Exotic is clearly a bad person, but that's not an interesting documentary. What we want right. is for people to be. We want people to ride the line, you know, anti-hero. <laughs> yeah, and we and so I think they either knew what they were doing by making us hate Carol Baskin and making us love Joe Exotic, or they had the pendulum swing too far, like they were worried that we as an audience were going to stop watching because we are like, well, this is just a documentary about a scumbag. And yeah. and they tr- they were like, well, we have to make him look likable. We have to accentuate the good side of him. And one of the things that they did was they showed these videos, which, you know, on one level are sort of ridiculous, but on another level are, you know, it makes him look like a competent person. Like, wow. Like, because I-, I didn't, the the voice wasn't what threw me off about it. It was... The because you and I are songwriters, it was by the third song that they showed because you yeah. know because some people's singing voice sound different than their than their talking voice you know like <laughs> yeah
1: but not that different but sure <laughs>
0: you know like I have a baritone talking voice but I have a tenor singing voice you know but you, but you don't talk like this and then <laughs> yeah. you sing like this but you know sometimes the the point is is that uh, I wasn't quite sure uh and. I figured, well, they they would tell us if it wasn't really him. But then when I heard the third song and I was like, all three of those songs are pretty well-written songs, even though they're not songs I would listen to, and they're really different. Because if you're sort of a mediocre songwriter, your songs tend to all sound the same. And I was like, wow, you know, each one of those songs is like pretty distinct And I I thought, there's no way that he wrote those songs. So I thought, well, maybe he just sang them, you know? And then I Googled it and instantly I found out that actually it's fellow Washingtonians that actually wrote those songs. And they thought that they were going to be credited, by the way. Um, And that's just another –
1: Fellow Washingtonians, as in multiple different people from the state of Washington? Yeah. Or that's the name of their band?
0: Yeah, no, two Yeah, <laughs> two guys from Washington State. One of them actually died recently. Oh. Uh, but they wrote and recorded those songs. Uh, uh, Joe Exotic paid them, I, I can't remember, like tens of thousands of dollars to write, you know, he said, write a song about me and a tiger, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. And then he recorded his own videos, unbeknownst to these uh, songwriters, I think. And because uh, they were going to be featured in his documentary, you know, or his reality TV show. Remember how they were making? Oh, yeah, that? yeah,
1: yeah. That's right. The, yeah. Uh, T- yeah. Joe TV or whatever it was.
0: Right. So he got them to do all this work for, you know, a lower rate because they were like, oh, my God, I'm going to have these songs featured in a reality TV show. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> what he didn't know is that Joe Exotic was going to take complete credit for all of it as well. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Midsummer. uh, this is the follow-up movie to Hereditary by Ari Aster. And, uh, when it came out, everyone was like, oh my God, you got to see this movie. And people made it sound, including you, they made it sound interesting enough to watch. Cause I don't, I didn't really like Hereditary cause I'm not really into horror. And although I know, uh, Hereditary is, um, uh, on the, sort of non-horror side of horror it's it still came across as horror like for example oh yeah the scene that i always think about is uh to exemplify this is the son is in bed and he's reading or listening to music or something and then all of a sudden these hands come up from behind the the banister and start to strangle him and and the music is very horror inducing and all that kind of stuff and then the mom bursts in the room and and the hands disappear, and we're like, "Wait, did the, yep. was the mom?" You know, it's very, very horror trope, you know. And so I was like, "Do I see Midsummer?" Because people are like, "Well, it's not really that horror-like, but it, it's definitely not not horror in some ways, yeah. you know." I mean,
1: it's horrific. <laughs>
0: yeah. But anyway, Berto, uh, one to ten, how? What's your score for Midsummer?
1: All right. I, I I believe I gave Hereditary like a nine or something. Okay, um, but I would say Midsummer. I would give it
0: um, a seven point five. Interesting. I think I gave it a seven uh, because, and I will say that it didn't have an element of horror except the end, kind of. Yeah. But I didn't find this movie because people I I posted on Facebook on our. Psychology in Seattle Facebook page, I was like, oh, I finally watched Midsummer. Wow. And someone commented, Kirk, I thought you hated horror movies. And I didn't take this movie as horror at all. It's it's psychological thriller through and through. Now, there are certainly gory scenes like when... Now, by the way, spoiler alert, this movie does not lend itself to being spoiled. So if you really want to watch it, go watch it, come back. Like the... When the the old people jump off of the cliff, and you know, (laughs) one of them lands on her on her face, and then the other guy has to have his face bashed in by a giant hammer. Didn't
1: quite die all the way, right?
0: (laughs) that was extremely gratuitous. I mean, there's there's so many other ways that could have been shot without showing that level of specificity to the way a (laughs) to the way a face looks. After the brain has been smashed out of it, you know what I mean?
1: It reminded me of Irreversible because like at the beginning of Irreversible, I had the same experience. Like, oh, I didn't need to see that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a certain notion that I think it plays upon, which is that our heads are, uh, I don't know, like these fixed spheres that can't be – uh, cr- crushed, you know, like when someone gets a bullet in the head, it, you know, the, the, the shape of the skull is still, uh, yeah. you know, sustained, but in irreversible in midsummer, you cl- you clearly see that with, yeah. you know, with a hard enough force, like a deformation can occur. And I will say that I've, I actually witnessed a car accident uh, in my life huh. and saw a guy's head get crushed. In that, no. Yeah, and, and you know, like, without going into too much detail, basically saw a scene like that old guy getting his head bashed in.
1: Oh, my God. Were, were, were you traumatized by this?
0: Not not in terms of a tr- traumatic reaction. I mean, it was, yeah. it was very memorable, but yeah. I personally didn't feel terror in the moment. A part no. of me was just sort of – it was a heightened experience, I'll, I'll say that. But yeah, it happened right in front of me. A car uh rolled down the highway and uh, a guy came out of the 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 skylight and was being crushed as the car as the, you know, the
1: oh my god.
0: SUV was rolling and bouncing right down the highway and and I was one of the first people to come, if not the first person to come upon him laying in the middle of the road. To see if he was alive, Oof. and I instantly realized the man was not alive um, and uh, yeah it was it was pretty awful, and then another oh i can 't even imagine that. yeah the, the whole scene was oh. was was pretty um, interesting and, and terrible and tragic we yeah. young young people we were all we were all so apple cup you know between the huskies and and the cougars so in in Washington state, we have two main state schools. University of Washington and Washington State University, and they have a big football game, American football game in the fall, and it rotates between being played at the different universities. And so we all went out to Pullman to watch it. And the next day, as we we're all, you know, there's a lot of people streaming back to Seattle a- mm-hmm. after the game, and it happened there. Anyway, uh- I, I
1: remember you telling me this now, now that I think about it. You had mentioned this before, but. What a horrific thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say that Florence Pugh is amazing. I saw her for the first time in Little Women. Have you seen that movie yet? Not yet. Yeah. You
1: you did sell me on it, though. I want to watch it.
0: Yeah, Florence Pugh, when I saw Little Women, was a runaway star of the show. I I was halfway through the movie. I think I turned to my wife, and I was just like, man – Whoever is playing Amy is just an amazing actress. She's she's just incredible. And then I heard that she was in Midsummer as well, and so and she totally carries this movie. Yeah. She's she's just totally. amazing. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I I gave it seven out of ten because now it's hard to end a movie because the ending was just like okay, uh, this is <laughs> go, this is going a little far, but at the same time it's like. How do you end something like this exactly? (laughs) Uh, And and I I thought that overall, there's so many ways this movie could have been cheesed out. And one of the ways that a lot of writers will do that actually when we watched um, not which but the follow-up to – oh, the uh, Lighthouse movie. Literally the Lighthouse? Yeah, the Lighthouse. Uh, Remember the, the Lighthouse? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that was the follow-up to Witch, which is a similar kind of genre if you will of... Oh,
1: I forgot that. Right. That was the same guy from Witch. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So there's what The Lighthouse did that really bothered me was it clearly brought in supernatural elements. You know, we we literally right. saw a mer- a mermaid. We Yeah. You know, there were things where it's like, "Oh, clearly something supernatural is at play here." Whereas in Midsummer They could have easily slipped into supernatural things or a foot where someone casts a spell and something happens. All the weird perceptual things can be explained through hallucinogens that they were regularly taking, right? And they were done in a way that was subtle enough to actually be believable, right? It wasn't like they were completely hallucinating things. They were that the you know, things felt a certain way and it changed their perception in a way that I think a lot of people who take hallucinogens might be able to relate to. So I really like that that choice. That was because the 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 amazing thing about this movie to me, and this is and I'll throw to you here in a second, is this story could have happened in real life. That's what's yeah. so amazing about this movie is that it's a fantastical riveting you know jaw dropping amazing scene story that s- feels fantastical but then i thought about it afterwards and i was like every single thing that happened in that movie could have actually happened there's one thing that probably could not have happened and that is is that they had that one guy strung up like a marionette and Ooh, yeah. and his lungs were outside his body and they were st- and he was st- he, they st- they seem to be breathing still, as if yeah. he was still able to breathe, which I guess is possible physiologically, but not likely, given blood loss and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that was the one thing that I wish they didn't have. They w- they didn't need that in the scene uh, to make it effective. Or maybe they hallucinated, Who you know, because the guy runs in there and he's already kind of drugged up. So maybe he hallucinated. The, oh, the... That's true. But anyway, the rest of it is all... Possible that it could have happened, you know. Cults exist, and you know, uh, weird old religions exist. Ritualistic suicide exists. Hallucinogens exist. Murder exists. Uh, All these things could have absolutely happened, which I found to be just a masterful feat of writing and directing and acting because the like I said the movie just seems so fantastical, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh no, I agree. Um I think that was why I I enjoyed it so much is because I didn't know what to expect. Um but I did know that as soon as the movie started, I already felt disoriented. I mean, not as soon as as soon as they got to the to they were traveling by foot towards their destination. Um so the the intro where they're all all the friends are still in the u s and they're talking about the trip or whatever um or not the u s where were they coming from where wherever they were coming from yeah um and but once they actually got to the hills and they were walking and towards their destination, I started to feel disoriented because they did this really good job of like oh man there's there is no night, like this is all we're gonna get to see and um and it adds this bizarre sense of foreboding. That coupled with the fact that they had that sort of free-spirited, like, no, it's good, it's good, it's all good, you know? Um, I, And I didn't really know how far they were going to take it. I, I actually assumed they were going to go sort of a more witch, supernatural thing, but um, I was happy that it, they didn't. Uh, I did sort of wish, and maybe only in retrospect, but I, I wished that they had somehow made the cult less obviously evil, (laughs) you know? And I mean, I guess you could, you say, well, I don't know. Were they evil? They were just following their practices. but eh, they were very deceptive and they were very, they clearly trapped them there without their knowledge. It's not like they explained what was going
0: to happen. Yeah. Especially Mm. the first couple murders that they did. The guy who wanted to leave the English guy, the British guy. Yeah. He, they they it sounds like they they just killed him right then and there and then yeah. strung him up like a marionette so it's almost like
1: yeah. yeah there was this opportunity they had and I don't know if it's the same movie I maybe mean, it's not as enjoyable but cuz cause, cause some of the some of the things that the cult was doing bring up interesting questions like the um what do they call it the senilicide or whatever when they they were getting rid of the oldest people by ballot um and uh, you know, you could see the movie, maybe even attempting to to make a, a justifiable case. Like, well, I don't know. What do you do with older people? What if, what if you don't have to wait till you get all rickety and the whole society has to take care of you? What if you go out with a bang? Blah blah blah. Now, I I could imagine probably a million better ways to go out than throwing yourself and risking still being alive. And but that aside, um, so yeah, so that was the only thing. Is I I kind of wish. Uh, that that maybe they had pulled back a little bit on, on the obviousness of the evil. The, the the only other thing, I guess, would be that plot-wise, in if you step back and you describe what the movie is about, there's actually a lot less plot here than, than it would seem, right? It's just like, these kids go on a trip, one of them is a, a member of a cult, and it turns out that the cult does some really weird uh, practices, including pe- killing people. <laughs> and the pretty much mostly kids die except for this one you know like but there's there's not a lot more plot to it and i, I felt like i don't know i was missing a little bit of plot but
0: now like, i i liked it I, the only plot that i think you could have added now that because you, you kind of touched on this a little bit was made it more justifiable that they killed those initial people like say the the guy who uh, the first guy they killed the the couple from britain that they killed yeah, if they were like, I'm calling the cops on you guys. Yeah, you know, if if yeah. if that guy, if they had sort of inserted that element, and then had, right. they might had a if they had like a little conversation between the elders of just like our way of life is being threatened here. You know what's going to yeah. happen if he goes to the cops. We all know yeah. that you know, the beauty that we have, you know, some kind of altruistic motivation, as- rather than what seemed to be. A quite evil motivation of they just they like to sacrifice human beings yeah who right, who right. don't want to be sacrificed. I mean the two guys who sacrifice themselves in the end from the from the cult right the the two guys who actually yeah. volunteer to enter the burning you know pyramid. Okay, you know they they made that choice that that's their that's nice. the But for the rest of them, <laughs> the guy who peed on the ceremonial log. Which I found – that was another detail that kind of bugged me because they made it seem like they had put ashes of the ancestors around that tree for a long time because they're a a small group of people. They can't have that many people dying, right? And they made it look like the ashes were still there as if rain never happens, you know? And as if that log never decomposes or something, it's another sort of supernatural element. But anyway,
1: but yeah, I- I Well, and just just FYI for next time, just put a little
0: fence around it or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so, but I wasn't really evaluating it on that level. I was just so impressed. So the way I watch movies nowadays, I think you know this because I've told you, is I will watch them in pieces. So I watch- like if I'm eating lunch, I'll sit down and I'll be like, OK, I'll watch like half an hour of whatever movie I'm watching. Like I started watching The Good Boys again, which I highly recommend, by the way. It's about – it came out last year I think and it's about three middle school boys and it's it's yep. it's a pretty funny movie. and And the first half an hour is very delightful and very relatable by the way. But anyway – so I started watching that last night and I watched a little bit of it today and you know I'll I'll probably watch the movie over the span of a few days and I'll finish it. Well, midsummer I sat down to watch it and I thought okay I'll watch half hour here. I watched the entire thing in one sitting because it was so riveting. So let me let me yeah. start from the beginning of the movie. The first 20 minutes is some of the best writing, acting, directing I've ever seen in any movie. When she now the I think they went a little over the top with the suicide depiction with the the hose in the sister's mouth uh, with the duct tape all around it.
1: Oh, I totally forgot about this, yeah,
0: and her eyes right, that's
1: how it starts. Her yeah. eyes
0: are all akimbo and everything. It's like,, yeah. you didn't need to have that 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 was kind of hoary to me. Uh, there's a different way to depict that that would look more realistic um, but but overall the the first you know twenty minutes or so of the you know the lead character Danny played by Florence Pugh and her insecurity and and the way yeah. the, the way the relationship with Jack Rayner is playing out and how it looks like he wants to leave and then sh- sh- her family dies and he's like oh shit well I can't leave her now <laughs> yeah and you know he does his best but he's also Not really into it and she really wants him because, of course, you want to be with your boyfriend and you really need your boyfriend through a time like that. And the way that they navigated that whole story, the first 20, 30 minutes, I thought was just unique, masterful. I really felt for both Danny and Christian – I felt for even the the sort of douchebag friends, you know, they're, yeah. they're in their twenties and they're just like, we're going to Sweden. This is going to be awesome. And then you got, you're not inviting your bummer of a girlfriend whom you, yeah. who you want to break up with. Right. You're not bringing her. Right. And just, <laughs> just that whole, the way that whole thing. And then she walks in and they're like, yeah, we want you to come. Sure. You know, it's well, like, and go ahead.
1: And there's details, right? Because like the, uh, for the, uh, the the cult member is the one that actually spills the beans, right? Right. Yeah.
0: Right, and and you don't really and and, and again, totally masterful, another writer director would spill the beans on his motivation early where they would have ominous music cuz in the beginning cuz I didn't know where this was headed when they have the yeah. Swedish guy, the guy in the cult is talking to Danny. You're like, "Oh, finally, Danny has someone who really cares about her, and, right. and he's really, you know, compassionately talking with her and listening to her and eye contact, and, you know, what a breath of fresh air. I like this guy. And then when they- Now, why doesn't
1: she go out with this guy?
0: Yeah, and then they go to Sweden, and they meet up with some of these other cult members, and you're like, wow, these cult members are really cool. And you, you yeah. don't even really think of them as cult members at this point. You just think it's like nope. some some sort of fancy dress-up family reunion of some kind, right? Yeah. And and the style of the movie, you know, so I'm Swedish and it's one of my so I have a I'm a, I'm half Japanese, so I have a big Japanese sort of element in my bones and how I identify. But the other major identification I have is my Swedish line. Although I'm not massively Swedish, but I it's enough of a line in my mom's lineage that it was passed down to me. And so in fact, there were times in my life when I just sort of truncated my white side and said I was Swedish, even though that's, you know, being too simplistic. And I would say I'm half Swedish, half Japanese. And so, <laughs> I, and I haven't seen that many depictions of like Swedish folk culture, of which this is a riff on, and all the folk art and the folk, you know, ceremonies. And, you know, I have no idea how cl- it's similar to when I watch uh, certain. Asian things and Jap- like Studio Ghibli stuff, like uh, Spirited Away. For example, it Spirited Away, the Japanese anime, is a riff on Japanese folk beliefs: how there are thing, there are magical spirits around, and how some are evil and some are good, and that the river has a spirit and the fox has a spirit, and you know all these all these kinds of beliefs from Shintoism, which are incorporated into this beautiful depiction but it's not the exact representation of the culture. Midsummer if I'm if I'm interpreting it right is a riff on Swedish folk culture. They they took actual yeah. Swedish folk culture and kind of expanded it into this spe- you know the specific representation, the way the art looks, the way the homes look, the way the flowers are depicted, the way you know the maypole and the 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 dresses that they would wear and the the belief system is like an echo of that and as i was watching it and i don't believe in this kind of thing but it felt this way to me of mm-hmm. the energy of my ancestors were resonating in my bones as i was watching this thing in the same way that when i watch ah. when i watch spirit away i feel something resonating in me you know do you ever have <laughs> that with like when you watch uh, Spanish conquistadors just raping and pillaging in South America. Do you feel something <laughs> yeah, in your I bones? Feel
1: so alive. <laughs> oh my gosh! I will say that when when I the first time I watched the movie The Mission with Robert De Niro, um, I did. I, I felt incredible grief and sadness. So it's sort of like a mixed bag. But I did. I felt like that mix of like,
0: well, at the time uh, when you watched that movie, you didn't realize you were part conquistador, right?
1: I knew that there was I, I knew I was a mix. I didn't know how much of a mix I was oh. I actually assumed I was more native than but uh, but I certainly knew I mean it, anyone that didn't look completely native had to have been you know impregnated by some Spaniard. <laughs> yeah um, but anyways, yeah, like but uh, the flip side is, I actually don't, I don't feel. That is really odd. It's it's interesting you bring that up, because I think about like if I see some native artwork, like some of the, in
0: that gold museum, for example, I don't feel anything. Well, what if you and if I, tried to feel it? Because that could be yeah. like your twenty fifth great grandfather. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I've never done that
1: exercise. It hasn't happened automatically, but maybe if I try to channel it. Same thing on the Spanish side. What I have done recently, though, is every every now and then I'll watch these um, these chef shows or, or videos on YouTube where they show uh, amazing cooking from around the world. And and whenever I see the Spanish ones, I sit there and I'm like, okay, this food, like these kinds of meals, these things would have been eaten by my ancestors a lot, <laughs> you know. And I try to think about that too, but. I don't know. It it hasn't come natural to me. Uh, I'm going to see if I can do a little experiment and channel it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I think I'm just particularly focused on that as a person that's very interested in ancestry. And so, like when I went to Japan, uh, I tried to frequently imagine my ancestors walking in those places and breathing that air and seeing that landscape. And it felt... Uh, more present for me. Um, Mm. You know what I mean? Even though, you know, it, it, so anyway, but yeah, getting back to the, to midsummer, what else can we say about it here? Um, I mean,
1: so I had a couple of experiences also while I was watching it. One is visually, it was really awesome. Um, You know, I just, there are so many scenes where I'm like, man, they did such a good cinematography slash, Added effects without it feeling at all like there's any effects or whatever and it was just mesmerizing and that coupled with the fact that it was constant daytime it it felt overwhelming I, i i do remember being in the theater and feeling like man i don't know how much more i can take of this but like in a good way you know like it felt oppressive like wow it's like when is night coming And there's more, like, more stuff happening on the screen. And I could feel the madness of the characters almost. And I think it was all due to both the audio and the visuals. Um, So that was really
0: interesting for me. One thing I heard from – I can't remember where I heard this, but someone was saying as a woman, she was watching this. And at the climax when Danny uh, points to her boyfriend as someone to be sacrificed Uh – as sort of this buildup of her frustration and hurt because of his emotional distance and then his having sex with someone else. Yeah. Uh, She uh, gets back at him, so to speak by naming him as a sacrificial lamb to be killed. Uh, This woman was saying as she was watching the movie that she, what she felt like this movie made her feel female empowerment in a really good way whoa right that's weird (laughs) yeah i mean what do you think about that that's
1: weird that'd be like oh my gosh i don't even i wouldn't even want to go there it'd be like yeah i watched american psycho and man i just felt like hooray for the boys
0: (laughs) yeah exactly now but here's here's the thing i i didn't have a chance to talk more in depth Female people, <laughs> female people <laughs> get so few moments of empowerment in movies that I could see a movie like this. like I one time watched a movie where I can't remember what movie it was, oh, it was um, the girl on the train, I think it is. And do you remember that movie? Which one was that one? Um, I, I, I'm sure I saw it. It's based on a book. You might not have seen it, but anyway, at the end of the movie, if I remember right (spoiler alert), the the woman ends up getting back at the man and stabs him or something like that because he cheated on her. I can't remember. It was something like that, but it was it wasn't necessarily. It was a gruesome scene, and it wasn't played for female empowerment. Let's just put it that way. And I was watching it with Stacy at the uh, cinema or Oh, I did see this. Uh, yeah, no, I did see this. And the uh, you know, there's a they serve booze during the movie, so there are some drunk women behind us who had gone to the movie as a group. And one of the women stood up, or not stood up, but shouted in the middle of this gruesome scene, "You go, girl!" And then. <laughs> And then there was all this laughter from from women, and I I was appalled because it was a very gruesome moment between two human beings where someone was being victimized in a way, physically, and I thought, wow. But then, again, when you put it in context about how few moments women get to be heroes physically or with tremendous power in movies, that a movie like Midsummer is just like – finally a woman you know because usually in a movie like this the woman dies or something happens to her you know and and, yeah. and or is victimized whereas in this movie she is she's held up as the queen and the may queen and she's celebrated and she's given all this power and and she finally has acceptance in this cult and so that's that's one of the through lines of this movie that i find to be very fascinating that uh effective effective writing where We're, you know, we're given this constant sense that she's sort of this underdog, right? She loses her family. She has a boyfriend who doesn't really want to be with her. None of the guys want her to tag along. Uh, No one's really uh, there to listen to her. Plus, she's having a really hard time talking about her grief, which they depicted well, I thought, because the boyfriend at some point is like, you know, talk about it. And and she's like, no, I'm not going to talk about it because it's just too much for her, right? And yeah. and so they, uh, the, the story that, that you could say, it's about a woman who starts off in a very bad place and she's trying really hard to uh, build a life and to build relationships and things aren't going well for her. And then in the end, she ends up finding her people and finding her power, finding her home, if you will and uh right, I mean, you could say that's the that's the through line of the story, right
1: she really does i mean she she de- you do have that sense like,
0: okay, she's come home to something she didn't even know she she could come home to right, and you could see that at least symbolically now I'm sure women who feel female empowerment from this movie would agree that it's not okay to murder, uh, but at the same time it's like philosophically or symbolically or metaphysically, by watching this movie, it, it symbolizes a liberation of this woman f- free from a loveless relationship, free from a society that doesn't really want to hear her talk about her grief. And is she's subsumed within a society that really understands her and is there for her and celebrates her. and is simple you know the the way she wins the may queen is she while drugged just manages to stay dancing longer than the other girls (laughs) you know it's a very childish return to the simple things in life uh that allows her to be liberated you know all these complicated city folk with their dissertations and we're just out here in the flowers enjoying ourselves uh you could see this from her point of view of being definitely a step up.
1: Yeah, that I could see that. Uh, so as a metaphor, I think it works. I um, I guess it is a little worrisome that we... Well, because I was thinking as you were talking that a lot of horror movies actually have the female as the heroine. um, And I think Alien copied that model and it seems to work well. I wonder if part of it is... A lot of the horror movies that are based on a monster or a serial killer have this definitely have this like male threat as part of the antagonist. Even alien. I mean it's a freaking creature that has a penis that comes out of a penis, basically, you know. It's like really really scary. Um and I I, I wonder if that lends itself well to like you know, we we might have even in our Sort of in our bones, in our in our minds, genetically, from millions of years of like, oh shoot, the other tri- that other tribe is coming. Oh man, they're gonna kill most of us man- men, and certainly gonna rape the women. And oh man, that sucks. And, and like that might be so, so embedded in our fears that we see a horror movie and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. The big male bad guy is coming, and he pretty much kills all the males, most of the other women, and then he's trying to get this one too, but she perseveres. Yay! Right.
0: Women at least, it's hard to know historically, because we didn't live back then, but certainly today and certainly when horror movies became popular in the 60s, 70s, 80s, women were the ultimate underdog. They have less power, they're perceived and often have less muscle mass. uh, So... They are the perfect person to root for because uh, they're the most vulnerable. And when they rise above it, then it's even more evidence of their perseverance and courage and, and strength and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think how horrible it is that it's
1: not like the saying is, oh, you know, the Vikings or whoever, they're going to uh, pillage and plunder, right? No, they're going to rape, pillage and plunder. Yeah. Like it's built into the saying. It's not just the Vikings. Uh, the, no, no, I know. I'm saying like like as an example of – like don't, don't
0: diss on my ancestors. <laughs> it's only the Vikings, dude. <laughs> I mean in yep. World War II when the yep. Germans rolled over Poland and then when the uh, Soviets rolled over Poland, uh, rape yeah. and uh, all sorts of atrocities occurred regularly. Yeah, I'm guessing American troops raped and pillaged as they went across France and Germany as well. Uh, hopefully to a lesser extent, but uh, but I'm guessing it happened. So, yeah, it's just one of those things, I suppose. It makes you wonder about the likelihood of someone doing that sort of thing. Is it that the rapists in the military force are opportunists and they're like, "Yay, I, I would have raped anyway and now I can rape with abandon because this is a lawless area and, I'm not, and my commanding officer either won't see or won't care – or does it somehow compel or trigger something in people who wouldn't normally do something like that to, to do something like that? I guess that's something for a whole other episode, right, Berto?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly, because it's 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 got to be a combination, you know. And a war, a big, huge global war is different because now all of a sudden you, you still have a Pareto curve of a, a distribution of people because there's so many people fighting that you're going to have your psychopaths, you're going to have your – you're, you're rapists in there anyways, right? And, like, they just happen to be at war. Uh, but, and then that's very different from uh, a whole culture where, like, all you know, because that's what your adults do, so that's what you grow up doing. It's like, oh, yeah, we go to other towns. They're not really like us anyways. so we just take what they have, and we, uh, of course, we, we rape the women because we want to have more people like us or whatever, right? Like, And if that's your culture, obviously, it's not right by our, our standards, but it's certainly what the only thing you're going to know. So, (laughs) yeah.
0: yeah. So getting back to Midsummer, final word from you, Berto,
1: I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I still, because I love horror movies, I still preferred hereditary maybe because it was a little more horror, but, um, that said, I, I had a very glorious audio visual experience. It was thrilling. It was scary, I felt, I felt very disoriented. Um, I had to uh, not really look away, but came close to looking away in a few scenes. It was quite intense. I loved it.
0: Yeah, agreed. Couldn't put it better myself. All right, people, what did you think of Tiger King and Midsummer? Comment below or go to psychologyinstata.com and fill out the Contact Us page. That's how we can find your comments most likely. Did you think Tiger King was class porn, classism porn? Did you think Clara Baskin did it? Do you think that Joe Exotic deserves to be released from from prison? Midsummer, what out of 10 did you give it? Did you like it? If you're a woman and you felt female empowerment from this movie, what was that like? Let us know. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it.